Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? I just can't that picture in Stephen Gerrard walking <laughs> out of the Etihad, you know, wearing that Liverpool jersey underneath the suit, a bit like Superman, Claire Ken. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. All right, let's get down to business. Brian, good afternoon to you. How are you getting on? Good afternoon, Ger. Really good, thanks. You? I know it's an individual game, and or sorry, it's a team game, and individual awards aren't supposed to count for much, but uh, Josh van der Fleer must be pretty happy with life at the moment. Uh, picked by his peers as the player of the year. It's the one, isn't it? It's the one that you want uh, in your, you know, in from a national perspective. Um, obviously, there's other international awards. You know, being you know, World Player of the Year, obviously, is is one rung higher than this. But there's other various awards from you know different sponsors and so on. But ultimately, this is the one that you want. Those that you play with, play against. Those that respect you, and um, those that that realize what you've delivered over the course of the last year, no more than anybody else. Um, so to get that award is, as he said, humbling, but it's also pretty thrilling. You know, you know you've done a good job. Why did they pick him out of everybody else? Because it's been a decent year for a lot of individuals. What is it that has uh, put him above his peers? I think it's probably the level of improvement that we've seen. Um, it's not just been this last year. I think it, it's probably started... 18 months ago, maybe even so far as two years ago. But I think the progression has been significant. You have to remember that, you know, a little over a year ago, there was people were still pining over the, you know, the loss of Dan Levy and Will Connors was back in the mix. There was, um, you know, there was other opportunities of Peter O'Mahony playing seven. and and so Josh was, you know, he was very much in the conversation, but definitely not a mainstay. And now over the space of the last year, he has single-handedly made the, the seven jersey his own. Um, he, by the sounds of things, you know, he was told to improve in certain aspects of his game by Andy Farrell. He's obviously getting great coaching from Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster day to day as well. And I, I you know, Sometimes players are late bloomers and so on. He's probably at the peak of his powers physically. In around 27, 28, 29 tends to be where you're at your best before something is withdrawn from you, be a yard of pace or, you know, body starts ailing a little bit. Um, so it does feel as though he's maximizing his potential now. All of, all aspects of his game have been, have been improved. Um, most notably, his ball carrying. He always ran good at angles of running, um, but he always seemed a little bit small for the international stage. That doesn't feel that, as it's the case anymore. His go again when he's hit is phenomenal. His leg drives excellent. Acceleration, picking up good lines um, on support play. You know, he can be a groundhog when he wants to get through. A mountain of work from a tackle point of view. Clever and understands when to leave rooks alone, when to get into the defensive system. He's just improved right across the board. And it's hard to see a more worthy recipient than him. There's, there's, you know, there's mentions for Doris and and Keenan, but for me, Van der Fleer, from from where he's come and what he's delivered internationally and provincially over the last year is is a very worthy recipient. It's funny how we used to say there were a few players who were irreplaceable. Furlong would have been one and then the nine and ten for a long time were kind of, uh, ooh, what, what's, what's next? Like, 
I'm not saying that we couldn't replace him, but he's very much in that category of like uh, the step down to the next player. While it's going to be a good player coming in, they're not as good as him at the moment. They're not, and that's the reality of it. I think if you look across the different provinces, um, Munster aren't fully sure who their best seven is. Um, Ulster jumps around a little bit as well. Likewise, over in in Connacht, um, you know, you can see different people playing different weeks, whereas there's no doubt who Leinster's first choice seven is. And like I said, I mentioned Will Collars. I know he's been very unlucky with some injury, but when he broke onto the scene for his first cap, I think with Hugo Keenan, which is only a couple of years ago, you know, there was there was big chat about what he was going to be able to deliver, the experience that he'd had from the seven circuit, the engine that he had, big, you know, big hitter as well. And yet through opportunity given to Josh because of injuries to others, he's excelled. And um, yeah, it does feel as though there's a big step down to the next player. Such is the difference in his performance, in Josh's performance over the last while, that he's elevated himself so much that I think whoever the next tier of players are are considerably below him. When we talk about the talent that Jurgen Klopp has, one of the things that he gets the most credit for is developing and evolving players who other managers had previously and they become world class under his tutelage and you can see the improvement in skill set the improvement in or the, the commitment to improving as well as the other part of that that seems to be the case with the coaching that he's getting and I don't know is it, is it impossible to decide the importance of the word that was had by Andy Farrell versus the day to day impact of Lancaster is it actually just a very sweet spot where he's getting the extra motivation and the day to day technical and tactical instruction to achieve and build on the motivation I'm sure it's a combination of the two um, you know he's the only one to properly know that where it's come from I, I would absolutely imagine that it was not necessarily the kick up the backside that he needed, but the guidance that he needed from Andy Farrell to be a regular in his team. And then that was the catalyst for change and for him to go away and work on different aspects of the game that needed improving. And, and one of those big things was ball carrying, being a better ball carrier, getting on, on the ball more often and posing a threat. And he's one of those guys now, and, and he's not even necessarily someone that we totally rely on because we've got lots of good ball carriers in the front row and um, Doris is a really good ball carrier Conan's a really good ball carrier so there's lots of you know potential there but but then it does feel that every time he gets the ball that he's going to make yards and and he's and he's scoring some pretty scintillating tries as well what he does very well you know with, with Leinster and Ireland he the six plus one line out I think his explosiveness off the back of it and that's when he plays number nine the fake nine goes in sometimes they drive that mall and we'll, we'll pile numbers into it but more often than not they'll drive it for a second or two keep, let the referee keep his arms up and then he'll break away and sometimes he links play sometimes he just charges into the 10 channel and his ability to break from that mall when it's just been set and then accelerate and go guarantees momentum guarantees gain line and they're small things that coaches are looking to also strike his his strike record at the moment you know is he he's he's six for Leinster in the European Cup this year um did I really four international tries pretty good for for an open side so and he's getting you know we we sometimes we, it feels quite insular where we're we load our own and we think how terrific they are and others look in and think 
who you talk about who's who's the individual that you know is getting all this hype um from a national point of view but i do feel as though he's grown huge credibility on the on on the european game northern hemisphere game in particular and and if people have been watching him particularly with his leinster performances um in the southern hemisphere they'll be paying attention because he's he's getting very very um some some somewhat generous still because i think richie mccall is the um is you know is the standard but um, but getting comparisons to playing that type of game, which means you're doing a lot right. Well, there's a big summer ahead for him to uh, just remind everybody down there as well how good he is. Like uh, all of a sudden, those tests are becoming mouthwatering. Um, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but uh, you know, it's it's good to get excited every now and again, right? Well, like if we're not, if we don't get excited, what's the point in enjoying it? If we don't get ahead of ourselves, if we don't lose the run of ourselves, sometimes what's the exactly. point in having sports? That's yeah. what it's there for. It's there for us to. To, to build up and, and really love the success, but also to break our hearts. That's why we love it so much. Yeah, and uh, there's plenty of time for us to have our hearts broken before the next World Cup. But in the meantime, we have the small matter of the European <laughs> Cup final. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Correct. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> Not like us. <laughs> and it's deja vu all over again. We'd be out of a gig if we didn't talk about this, Jerry. Well, no, so, yeah, no. well, we, we, I, I do think as sports fans, you're supposed to get carried away. That's kind of the whole point, right? Like, we love this thing. We love watching it. We love watching our team do well. And if, if we can't hope that there's something new about to happen, I, I agree with you. What's the point? If, if you're not showing any form of bias, what, like what? You're not paying attention. Well, like, yeah, you're not, you're not. You're not. You're not winding people up. You're not splitting opinion. If you've got everyone outside, or you're, you know, you're trying to be superbly neutral. You know, I, I don't think you're trying hard enough. I think you've, you've got to try and split opinion and rub people up the wrong way a little bit. And you're meant to support your own. That's human nature. You like you've got a tie. I've got a tie to Leinster and to Ireland. Of course, I'm going to try and find an upside to them. I'm going to defend them where I possibly can. That, that's OK as far as I'm concerned. That's why it's also kind of glorious timing that it's Leinster Munster this weekend and it's not Leinster's strongest team. It looks like it's going to be a very strong Munster team. And then Ron O'Gara next week in the uh, Heineken Cup final. So it's O'Gara versus Sexton. All those narratives, all those old photographs, all the friendly ones where they were together for a period of time <laughs> as well. It's like uh, it's about as tasty and delicious as it could possibly have been. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's an exciting couple of weeks um, as, as, you know, uh, an Irish rugby fan, but particularly a Leinster rugby fan. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the team. I saw, I saw earlier it's a very strong Munster team, and yeah, again Leinster unsurprisingly arresting up all of their you know their starting fifteen. And um, Keane Healy's obviously sitting on the bench, but beyond him, Frawley's involved. But you know, it's, for the most part, it's it's a full second team. It's a it's a must-win game for Munster because they're going to want that second seeding. Um, I think they have to win with a bonus point to guarantee it, um, which would mean a home semi-final if they manage to win their quarter-final. Um, so, it, you know, there's a big carrot on this as well. The other thing that they want to do is make sure that they don't lose to Leinster's second team. You know, they've lost already once this season. And if they genuinely are making progress, well, they got to win these types of games. So um, this, this is a big game for Munster from a confidence-boosting point of view as well on the back of their European exit and disappointment. They have to show resolve and ability to bounce back and that they are here to fight and that they can win this competition still as well. And, you know, if, they, if they're losing to Leinster's second team, that's obviously not going to do anything for their, um, the, you know, the confidence levels and, and their 
ability to actually go and, and you know take on the top team be it a semi-final or final level yeah Munster are favourites for that game by the way once the teams got named Munster became six point favourites um, I haven't spoken to you since the two midweek fixtures were named uh, or announced against the New Zealand Maori for the, the tour which all of a sudden makes these games all the more important because it looks like you're going to have to bring an extended squad it's not just going to be a, a, a small squad aimed at winning those three tests it's going to be uh, an opportunity for players to get in and around the Ireland camp not just be holding the tackle bags but to play some game time in you know traditionally we've we've lost those games against the New Zealand Mary so matches like the one tomorrow evening suddenly the Ireland selectors are going well who's coming on the tour who's who's putting their hands up under this these circumstances well yeah you'd have to imagine what is it 33 players go to a World Cup you'd have to imagine they're definitely going to take that anyway. Um, if they're, you know, with the amount of games, with the intensity of the games, New Zealand tours are different as well. They're so attritional, so physical that you're going to have broken up bodies. Um, and the fact that it's not easy to fly people out, you know, it's going to take minimum 24 hours. The, you know, the recovery time from acclimatizing to the time difference is six, seven days, genuinely until you get the, to get the best performance out of individuals. So you're going to have to look at trying to pull in a big squad down for that but brilliant opportunity for some of those fringe players that have picked up a couple of caps here or there to impress and um yeah it's, i think it's a smart move by um you know by the irfu to go and and try and get more games against a team that in the past we struggled but now we don't fear like we once did and um yeah, it's it's it feels like a real turnaround. I think we'll learn an awful lot about ourselves in this test series. You know, predominantly the three tests against the All Blacks, but to see what our you know next group of up and coming players too, the the players that are going to be involved in twenty twenty seven, um, then in Australia, even those players, what they're capable of delivering against some of the toughest opposition. From a Leinster perspective, not naming your strongest team was always going to happen. It, there's, there's no reason for them to do it. Um, it's not a must-win game for them. Is there any any part of the Leinster players who played last week who would like to play again this week? Or is it literally about just making sure that you are fit and named in the 23 for the final? Lads will always say, oh, I want to play, but you always want to be fit for the Champions Cup final. You know, they've qualified first seed. They've got a home quarter final. There's nothing to be gained except if you were lacking in match fitness to go out and get some game time. Um, I'm really not surprised that they haven't, um, you know, they've named so few of what will likely be in the, you know, in that 23 taking on uh, La Rochelle next week down in Marseille. Um, it's about being able to have two weeks of focus into the game as well, as much as these lads, you know, playing against Munster will be, will, you know, be, completely focused on Saturday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon's game, the other boys wouldn't have paid a whole lot of attention. They would have given the respect of, you know, of holding tackle shields and preparing them. But off the field, they would have been doing all of their prep on La Rochelle, all of their identifying all their launch plays. So by the time they hit the ground on Monday, that they will know exactly what their game sheet looks like tactically what they're looking to do and then it's just a case of you know getting the, the minutes on the legs and um, sorted for the week and you know get that high intensity training and get yourself prepped for one final um you know blast where you've had terrific form over the course of the season but you want to save your best for last did you prefer having games back to back two weeks in a row did you prefer a two-week lead-in not really like i um did i prefer i, I I think when it comes to this 
end of the season. If you haven't had too many breaks, though, you know, having a week off is no harm. And because of the intensity of training now, particularly under under Lancaster, by the sounds of things, it's not as though you know a week off of you know having a game at the weekend means that it's going to be feet up and get the you know pipe and slippers out. You're working hard. You are being put through the ringer. You're going to be blowing, and you're going to keep your fitness levels up. So. I, you know, I, I don't worry about that physicality, that match hardness. That there's plenty of that in these teams um, at this stage of the season. They've had enough of it internationally and provincially. Now it's just a matter of getting, you know, your body well rested and and prepped, but also, you know, uh, mentally and psychologically getting yourself right for you know that that pitch of performance and to make sure that you deliver your best it's going to be hard to supersede the Toulouse performance but if they do that there's no way that La Rochelle will be able to live with them how do they make sure that they get at least back to that level it's obviously a kind of big broad stupid question in, in one way I, I you know I think they just back themselves you know it's not like that, that was a it was you know uh, performance that stood out on its own over the course of the season. It's just because of the quality of the opposition. But Leinster have played a lot like that, you know, throughout the year. They have brilliant performance against Bath, home and away, particularly away to pull them apart. I thought they were excellent there. Granted, Bath are, you know, bottom of the Premiership, um, you know, pretty pretty abysmal this year. Likewise, Montpellier, you know, they still had to put 90 points in them, even though they had... 20 odd turnovers in the game so they, they've they've put together this type of old court game all season so there's no shock to see um that they'll be trying to do something similar play with the same intensity and um, you know st- um, stop the defenders on on the inside of or close to the rook and then create confusion outside around the third fourth fifth defender as they did so often against toulouse and particularly if you can get some of the tight forwards in those defensive positions well, they're the ones that are most vulnerable and most likely to be pulled apart. So I think just more of the same. Just remind yourself what you did well against Toulouse and um, make sure that the speed of the rook is as quick against La Rochelle and that you target guys like Bougari and guys that, that gave you trouble last year. Um, you know, if Skelton's playing, which I don't think he's going to be, even though Rog is you know, talking him up, by all accounts, he's not going to be fit. So just making sure that you're... You, you know what's coming at you, what the individuals, you know, offer and then how you're going to counter that. It's a different team from the last time that Leinster played La Rochelle in many ways. They, there's been an evolution and there's also, fingers crossed, a different personnel in just in terms of the available players. The injuries that they had last year were, were um, significantly diminished, but it does seem like they're cresting to a peak at the moment. Yeah, it does. It does. But you still have to deliver it. You still that's all well and good. It's, but that doesn't count for anything. What you've done previously to the final, it gives you confidence going in. It, it, you know, it reminds you that you're cap- what you are capable of, but you still have to churn out that performance uh, in the most pressurized stage uh, against opposition that beat you last year, that will feel as though they have the hoodoo over you and that um, that. You know, it's going to be one or one or other of you going to be lifting the trophy because it's going to be one elated team and one massively disappointed team. So that throws in, you know, throws up different things, different emotions than they'll have experienced over the course of of the season. When a final comes, it can bring the best out of people, but it also make them tighten up a little bit. And there's still some guys that haven't played in a final before. 
you know, guys that have shown it on the international stage, but Doris and Keenan and these guys, they still have to, for your first one, you got to still deliver it on the big stage and, and that will be their responsibility. Um, it, I think most people are confident that they will be able to put that performance in. If if they do put in a good performance, if you're Ogara over the next 10 days building your game plan for it, was there anything in the Toulouse game, even the, the scrum um, after Furlong goes off, uh, there are, it's, they didn't break even but they, they were, uh, it wasn't as bad as it could have been and it wasn't as good as it might have been so is there a room there for La Rochelle to think okay we can target this we just need to make sure that we get a lot of scrums and that we get on the right side of Wayne Barnes yeah I suppose yeah of course you've got to tr- try and look at you know with Tyke Furlong potentially not there you know is Michael Alatoa does he have the same um pedigree and the same reputation at scrum time I would say no he doesn't it's not an area of expertise but on the base of what I've read and seen and what's happened when Tyg Furlong has not been there it, it, it's a little bit more vulnerable I'm not saying it's vulnerable but it's definitely but it's not just it's not just on your tight head that's a that's an eight-man thing and they will take it as as a unit rather than put all the focus on Alatoa you know I think there's a huge responsibility on the scrummaging um, lock to make sure that, that he does a good job. Likewise, a scrummaging flanker to make sure he locks him in for all scrums. You saw the speed at which they played, you know, channel one ball when Alatoa came in for Furlong as well. You're not looking for to eke out scrum penalties. You're looking at getting the ball to eight and get it away because we've seen how good Leinster launch plays have been this season and how much success they've had from that. So that's their great strength is they're able to attack by multiple means if one area runs dry they're able to go after something else and so if your strength isn't your scrum you play you play fast and wide to your centers that can carry really really well over the advantage line doris who can pick from eight and make good yards you can get to the width by holding defenders inside so there's lots lots of um angles that this leinster team can come from uh, is there anything else that larisha will have seen in leinster that is in some way something you can attack or go after or try and turn it into a similar game to the one that last year's game was? Yeah, like, I think Leinster are, don't buy into the fact that they've been physically dominated. I think they feel as though the accuracies around areas of the game were lacking in the games that they were physically dominated and that it is perceived as just a team, you know, pushing them around and, and winning, winning the physicality contest. Um, so they don't buy into that, but from the outside looking in, it's it's hard to escape the the size of the skeletons. Like I mentioned before, Bougari, um, Prizo, these guys are big specimens, and Aldrich carried really well last year as well. So these guys felt as though they got over the advantage line more than Leinster did. It's something that Leinster have done very successfully this year. Do they look as though that they've physically outmuscled every team that they've played against? They do. It's what the game is. You, you, it's a game of collision winning and the knock-on effect to your ball carrier getting over the advantage line equals quicker rook ball equals slower set defense. And, you know, I, 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 I've mentioned this so many times before. That's the reality of the simplicity of this game. And that's why winning that contact zone is everything in the game. And the thing is, if if Leinster played uh, last year against La Rochelle the way they did against Toulouse, the physical um, skirmishes would largely have been on Leinster's terms. And so therefore it would have been a different result. And that's, I presume, what Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster are saying and trying to set the game up so that happens again next week. 
Yeah, I, 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 but I also think there's other factors to last year's team. I think if you look at like the significance of the halfback pairing, you know, um, of having Gibson Park and Sexton there, um, of having Doris coming in and playing in the back row, of having, um, you know, Porter playing on the loose head. These are all significant changes. So I don't think they'll be dwelling too much on what happened last year. I think there'll be a huge focus on what they're going to do themselves and how they can, yet they'll, they'll put a bit of focus into their opposition, but they will think that if we go about playing our game, the speed and accuracy at which we've done all season, that no team in Europe can survive with us, be it in a final, be it La Rochelle, be it Toulouse, anyone. And they've shown that against Leicester in Welford Road, Toulouse at home, and now they've got to prove that one more time in Marseille. So, you know, you can, you can look at this a million different ways, but it will again completely boil down to the speed of that rook ball that has been Leinster's um, the top of their skill set this year and that's why they've scored so many tries Rugby and Off the Ball is with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Gibson Park is a really interesting case study it felt like he was actually in the Ireland squad before he was first choice at Leinster for whatever reason and the way the games and the, the, the fixtures fell which would definitely give you confidence that uh, the brains trust in, in in the senior team is like you know they have they have giant big rugby brains where they're like oh we want this guy to do that thing that we see him do um, you know half the time that Leinster play because it, it felt like it was 50-50 at Leinster who their first choice was um, when it came down to it am I wrong about that? that like, no I, do you know what huge credit to Andy Farrell from what, you know, what I heard before um, he even became um, resident and, and eligible to play for Ireland that Andy Farrell had earmarked him as someone that he was was going to be a big player for him and that some of his skill set and and, uh, and attributes completely played into the type of game they were trying to play. And you know, we were all sceptical. We, we can't forget the fact that we were sceptical for the first year of this of the Andy Farrell game plan. We just couldn't understand. We couldn't see it. And it was, you know, we struggled to see what that evolution was. It was... And they were probably working it out in that time too. And then eventually it just clicked in the England game in last year's Six Nations. And and then they haven't looked back since then. But prior to that, there was lots of head scratching as to ultimately what they were trying to achieve, what the pattern was looking like, what they were trying to actually do in manipulating the defence. Um, so all of that has, has, has come together. But a big component of it as well has been Gibson Park and his speed of service and the variety to his game, you know, minimal box kicking, but leave, relieving pressure um, for Jonathan Sexton a lot of the time um, sniping when when the time was right um, kind of very different to the to the Joe Schmidt way of the World Cup, where the, it was very structured. The ball was slowed down to get in set in, you know, set up into you know, the organized pattern that they were looking to get into. This is just play fast. It's available play fast because defenses aren't available then. So huge credit credit to, to Andy Farrell for identifying Gibson Park as someone that was capable of developing into the player he has. Is there also a sense, and uh, maybe this is just because they're winning games, uh, the way they're winning games at the moment, but Sexton's getting smashed a bit less. That like, he seems to be uh, less available for whoever is coming off the defense to, to get up to him and absolutely annihilate him. I, I don't know, is that... Is that accidental and, and so therefore not important or is there some strategy around the, the shape of the team that is allowing that to happen? I think he also realised that he didn't have to be 
take it to the nth degree, but you know, to commit defences. I think it, it dawned on him that he can he can still get the job done by taking it to the line, but yet a couple of yards away, commit defenders, watch their shoulders turn in. And maybe his IQ is sharpened again in the last couple of years where he, he knows when he's got someone committed, where he doesn't have to take it to the line as, aggress- as aggressively as he previously did, and then encouraging those late shots. Now, it's almost a halfway house where the speed of his pass, he commits to a certain point, keeps himself in a safety area, and then is still with speed of thought and um, and quality of pass is still able to pull you know defenses apart and then get himself into a position where he can take the late shot or you know the the shot isn't as fero- as ferocious as it once was. Yeah, and the other thing that ha- helps in the middle of all this is that your forwards are playing with the skill set that they're playing with, and it's obviously Lowe's was rightly made of the furlong skip pass that was like a thing of beauty, but uh, Ross Maloney was also pretty good with his no look. I'm going to pull the ball back and uh, straight into the arms of whoever's right right behind me, even though, you know, he can only hear the person behind him, he can't see him. I thought there was like twice where he did the game. I thought, well, this is amazing. At least twice. Um, him, Doris and Furlong are the best at it. Um, their acceleration onto the ball, they carry the same way if they're carrying themselves, if they're past tipping the ball um, onto the outside man, if they're popping it back inside to the inside trail runner or if they're pulling it out the back. They're, they're, they don't also have to look. Even James Ryan isn't as comfortable in that position, doesn't carry to the same intensity. And a lot of the time that is pre-called. It's not him, you know, it's not the expectation on the ball carrier to decide what to do on the line. They've got enough to think about with carrying aggressively. So the person that decides that is the one just sitting in the pocket, that back that is just on their heels, deciding whether, you know, you carry, and that's your option, you carry or you, you know, pop to your forward, to a forward outside usually, unless it's very obvious on the inside, or that, you know, when it's cold, you pull it out the back. But his ability to take that to the line, we talk about improvement over the course of the year from an international perspective, in Josh van der Fleer. Well, Ross Maloney has become a player that many of us wondered, was he capable of of getting to that standard? And it's inevitable that he will go on tour this um, this summer. He'll probably get capped as well um, on the basis of, of some of his performances. So, um, you know, hugely deserved because he's he's had to work hard for it. He's been, you know, he's been not a dirt tracker for Leinster, but but uh, you know a non-international player. He's gone through a lot of games. He's obviously gone and captained the team, and now within that leadership role, I think he's really elevated his um, ability around the park as well. Really workmanlike and offering something that maybe yeah, I, you know, lots of us didn't know that he possessed. It speaks to a really good culture there, where somebody who uh, is in that scenario doesn't lose faith or doesn't decide right I'm I'm just going to be one of those players who never actually gets it gets to that level because he's 27 28 for second row like there could easily be 6 years of him being at an elite level if he gets there Yeah there is and like I said there's different you know people bloom at different times but usually you can see the capabilities of someone I I you know Ross Maloney was was in the academy when I was there, and you know he he came out of school out of St Michael's with a good reputation, and and I guess you know he looked like a nice player, but it was hard to see how he was going to make that jump up to international standard player, where you're talking about you know competing with the best in the world, be it Atoji or Ritalik or 
um, or Etzebeth, you know, when you're thinking about that, it felt like he, he was a long, long way away from that. Whereas now, I'm not saying he's at that level yet, he's not, but he's absolutely in the conversation to play international rugby. He would not feel lost at international rugby on the basis of what we've seen so far because he's got so many good moments. He's a low error count. He's, you know, he does all the dirty work, you know, he, but yet he does that brilliantly well where others struggled that have been there a long time. He does that, as I mentioned, one of the best in, in you know, three in the, in the Leinster team. And that alone is going to get you selected because that sits down defenders and it creates space for others outside. Plus, if you're doing all the, the donkey work, if you're doing all the tackling and rook hitting, um, you're only going to get kudos from your coach. We haven't had an update yet on, on the injury scenario. Um, if if Ronan Keller was to be gone, that would not be great. But if uh, James Lowe was to be gone as well and uh, Tyke Furlong, maybe the, maybe the odds close. We, we'll wait and see what the exact update is and all of that stuff later on in the week. Um, again, James Lowe, the left boot is like this ferocious weapon. It's just this amazing thing to have. It's like, okay, lash it over to your mm-hmm. man there and all of a sudden the ball's in the other 22. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, he he's really learned not to overplay his hand. I think he, you know, he he's predominantly a ball and hand player. He doesn't want to be kicking the ball away, but I, do, I think he does realize, you know, the advantageous effect of having a rocket launcher left boot. And you need one in every back line. We've had one with Rob Carney for years and you take it for granted that you have right foot, left foot. But to take the pressure of, you know, there only being obviously a box kick or a kick from an out half or a right footed kicker at full back, it just shows it just softens that defensive line where you can't mark everyone. You can't have three or four people charging different areas. So when you do offer those different effects, you know, you're going to have a bit more time, a bit more control to um, to exit, but also you're going to have the back three manipulated as well. They've got to think about where the ball is going to be coming from. So it's a it's been a really um, positive part of of James Lowe's game, and and only followed up with really good kick chase after it. Uh, last thing here is um, O'Gara and his second successive European Cup final. Um, having taken full charge and having all the responsibility on his shoulders we might just take this a bit for granted that his career has been so spectacular to get to this point as quite an inexperienced head coach I I realised I was just looking back exactly it's nine years since he retired as a player so it's not an overnight success but it's a phenomenal achievement to get there and then to get straight back there the next year yeah, I, I heard you this morning talking about it and, and I got a bit of it on social media earlier on. Like, I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's, you know, all the teams that he's been involved in have been contesting trophies or winning trophies. And, you know, to do three finals in, um, in a year, basically, you know, top 14, two European finals, there's potential for, I know they've got, you know, a bit of work to do in the top 14 still to, to, to guarantee qualification so on. But he's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very impressive feat for a guy, particularly in his first year as a head coach, where sometimes it could be a little bit rabbit in the headlights, but he's gone and, you know, the circuitous route he's taken to, to coming back to um, to France via the, you know, Christchurch, via you know, Paris previously. Um, it's it's pretty Im- impressive what he's done. And, it, you know, obviously would, would only be elevated by a success now, but, you know, I think, um, 
most of us, well, certainly a lot of us in our province, maybe not in province down south, I'm hoping <laughs> that you know, it's, it's another year and not this year. Yeah, that gives them perfect cover to be like, no, nah, I'm absolutely not cheering for Leinster. It's like, uh, this, is the, this is what you need, though. You need these rivalries, right? If I was a Munster Correct. fan, it would sicken my hole if Leinster won this. I've, and Raj is my perfect excuse, so no thanks. Yeah, they don't want 5-2. Are you kidding me? No, they don't. 5-2 is an unassailable lead, you know, um, whereas, um, you know, yeah, every reason to get behind one of their own. Um, so, yeah, I, I listen, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't feel hard done by the fact that they're going to, you know, be supporting Raj. Um, you know, in many ways, I'm sure if, you know, if one of the, you know, Leinster stalwarts was, was coaching a French team, if it was Johnny or someone else in years to come, I'm sure a lot, you know, the, it would be reciprocated from, Yeo Leinster faithful 100% alright Rugby and Off the Ball is with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team because we all belong to the team of us that's where we park the rugby we are going to be uh, having a big reveal about the uh, try tie which we're all taking part in next stay tuned Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone official sponsors of the Irish rugby team team of us everyone in 